This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Central banks in Europe and Britain followed the lead of the Federal Reserve by raising interest rates by 0.5 percentage points, lower than the previous rises of 0.75. The Bank of England's hike, its ninth consecutive rise, took its rate to 3.5%, the highest level in 14 years. Meanwhile, the European Central Bank raised its rate from 1.5% to 2%, the highest since the global financial crisis in 2008. The ECB suggested it expects further rises to come as inflation remains well above its medium-term 2% target, even if it has reached its peak. Eurozone inflation was 10% in November, down from 10.6% in October. Economic activity in China diminished in November. Retail sales actually fell by 5.9% year-on-year, while industrial output growth slowed to 2.2% from 5% in the previous month. Both consumer demand and production had been hit hard by the country's zero-COVID policy. That is now being wound down, but the resulting surge in COVID infections will cause disruptions of its own. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said that 64 Ukrainian prisoners of war had been freed from Russian captivity in a prisoner exchange. An American citizen was also freed in the swap. Ukrainian officials did not say how many Russian prisoners they released in return. Meanwhile, an unknown drone struck a Russian airbase in Kursk, near the border with Ukraine, according to the country's officials. Elon Musk unloaded $3.6 billion more of shares in his electric car company Tesla. That brings the total to almost $23 billion since Mr. Musk announced a $44 billion takeover of Twitter. Tesla's shares fell by more than 60% this year. Investors are worried that inflation could squeeze demand for the company's fancy cars and that its boss is too distracted to run the firm. The UN postponed decisions about whether to allow representatives from Afghanistan's Taliban administration and Myanmar's military junta to represent their countries at the General Assembly. The UN's assent would have been an important step in both regimes' quests for international recognition. For now, the envoys that preceded regime changes in both countries will retain their positions. The UN will revisit the issue in nine months. The Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate by half a percentage point. That follows four consecutive three-quarter-point increases and brings the federal funds rate to a range between 4.25% and 4.5%, its highest since 2007. Jerome Powell, the Fed's chair, made hawkish sounds. The policymakers' median forecast is now that interest rates will hit 5.1% in 2023, significantly higher than had been expected, and that American GDP will grow by 0.5% next year. Football World Cup France ended Morocco's historic World Cup run, winning 2-0 in the semifinal. 
France, the defending champion, will play Argentina for the trophy on Sunday. Then fact of the day. 12,000, the number of new regulations introduced by the American government in 2021. A rise on recent years. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Beefing up Japan's defenses. Japan's security policy will take a leap forward on Friday when the government releases long-awaited revisions to its national security strategy. Japan will codify plans to raise defense spending to 2% of GDP by 2027, up from around 1% today. At current levels, that would make Japan the world's third-largest defense spender in absolute terms. The government also plans to acquire long-range missiles that would allow it to strike targets in enemy territory. Both moves represent breaks in precedent in a country where pacifism has been dominant since the end of the Second World War. Big questions remain. One is what exactly the new money will be spent on. The other is where it will come from. Yet, strikingly, there has been no major domestic opposition to the government's proposals. A combination of China's aggressive posture, North Korea's increasingly brazen missile program, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine have convinced the Japanese that they can no longer afford to skimp on security. Life is still too dangerous for Indian women. Friday marks 10 years to the day since Jyoti Singh, a 23-year-old physiotherapy student, was raped and mutilated by a group of men on a bus in Delhi, India's capital. She later died of her injuries. A decade on, not enough has changed. In May, Shranta Walkar, a call center worker, vanished in Delhi. She had previously told police that her partner, with whom she lived, beat and threatened to dismember her. He confessed to ultimately doing so last month. Most violence against Indian women happens at home. In a survey, 30% of married or previously married women said they had been subjected to domestic abuse. Jyoti Singh's case did lead to some improvement. Several new laws make the prosecution of sexual assault cases easier, the Supreme Court strengthened women's rights in several areas, and the share of the victims who reported sex crimes rose somewhat. But much more work is needed. Half of Indians say it is still acceptable for husbands to beat their wives. Until social attitudes change, women will remain in peril. The ANC's Big Meeting in Johannesburg When the African National Congress begins its national conference on Friday, the arena will reverberate with old songs about fighting apartheid. Indeed, there is more to celebrate in the past of South Africa's ruling party than in its present, or future. After 28 years of ANC governments, South Africans are increasingly fed up with the party, which is expected to lose its majority at the next general election in 2024. At the conference, the party will choose its leadership to fight that election. Despite a recent corruption scandal, Cyril Ramaphosa, 
president of both party and country, is expected to hold on to power. His supporters say that if he can muster enough allies in top party positions, he will finally be able to pursue economic reforms and clean up corruption. Yet that is naive. Not even Nelson Mandela, the ANC's most famous leader, would be able to renew the party today. It is a machine for patronage, not for progress. Sweden inches towards NATO. On Friday, the Riksdag, Sweden's parliament, will discuss the country's defense budget. Sweden applied this year to join NATO alongside Finland, its Nordic neighbor, following Russia's attack on Ukraine. Sweden had planned to reach the alliance's defense spending target of 2% of GDP by 2028, but may now bring that target forward by two years. But the pair's NATO applications have been held up by Hungary and Turkey, two other members of the alliance. On Tuesday, after the EU agreed to let it access billions in aid, Hungary lifted its veto and confirmed its parliament would debate Swedish and Finnish accession in February. Meanwhile, Sweden has been courting Turkey. In September, it lifted an informal ban on selling military equipment to the country, and reports emerged this month that Sweden's government has deported people to Turkey suspected of ties to the PKK, a Kurdish rebel group that has long been a thorn in the side of Turkish leaders. It remains unclear if the concessions will do the trick. The sequel to Avatar finally arrives. On Friday, the long-awaited sequel to Avatar, a science fiction blockbuster released in 2009, will finally hit the screens. Its director, James Cameron, has an impressive record. The first Avatar is the highest-grossing film ever made. Another of Mr. Cameron's efforts, Titanic, is in third place. But Avatar The Way of Water may struggle to make such a big splash. The sequel continues the adventures of Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, an American Marine whose mind has been zapped into a cloned alien body. He now defends his Edenic adopted homeworld, Pandora, from invading human colonists. The computer-generated imagery is spectacular, yet the action doesn't merit the film's running time of over three hours. The protagonist spends half of that on a tropical island, bonding with local sea creatures. Mr. Cameron may be saving his best story ideas for later. Three more installments of the franchise are due before 2030. Fans must hope they are worth the wait. daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Friday. What hollow snack is often handed out to guests in Chinese restaurants after a meal? Thursday. Which lyricist collaborated with Richard Rogers on the musicals Oklahoma and South Pacific? 
the winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners, chosen at random, were Yumi Arima, Tokyo, Japan Mark Weston, Warsaw, Poland Trevor Ford, Thurlmere, Australia They all gave the correct answers of South Africa, Sahara, Asset, and Asylum. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Arthur C. Clarke, who was born on this day in 1917. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.